Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast. My name is Jonathan Dunn. I love video games and I'm joined by somebody else who loves video games. It's my lovely friend, Chris Dow. Cookies in a jar. And we are chatting, guess what, about video games. Oh boy. Announcement. Announcement. It's time for the announcements, but they're going to be short and sweet. It's 2023. This show is rolling now in full swing in the second half of this season after our little festive break. And we'd love it if you would consider checking out patreon.com slash O3C games and considering pledging just a few pennies a month to help us in this endeavor. There's extra episodes you can get hold of. There's deleted scenes. There's access to full uncut video versions of every single episode this season and all sorts of other bits and bobs that will sometimes propagate their way to the Patreon feed. Other than that, please do review, rate, share, all the stuff that's going to help us out. It does make us feel really, really quite nice when we see a little message saying, oh, so-and-so liked that. Oh, so-and-so shared that. And if anything, that's worth more than the money. I mean, it's not, but it's still appreciated. We're back! Last week, we fed back on our Christmas homework. That was me playing James Pond 2, colon, codename, colon, Robocod. Didn't like it. <laughs> Chris fed back on playing Silver. Did like it. I did. Yeah, there we go. That's your too long didn't read of that episode. Save yourself an hour. This week, though, we are back with our semi-regular Playdate Updates. We've played the latest two games in the game series that we have been playing. That is season one of the Playdate games. This week, we are going to be talking about Hyper Meteor and Zipper. Very much looking forward to uh, diving into those. But before we do that, hey, you know what, Chris? Let's check in with each other. What are you buying? What are you playing? What have you played this week? Not a huge amount because I've just been playing Babylon's Fall essentially ah yes it's done the game is done I've got the platinum trophy I don't have to pick it up ever again and in about a month I won't be able to pick it up ever again Mm. (laughs) I mean I could have taken a bit more time over finishing it as like I said at a time of writing there's about a month or so until it shut down completely but it was becoming a real like millstone it felt around my neck that every time I went to play something else I thought ah but I could just get another another hour done just knock out another another 20 minutes or half an hour before I do something else. And it's amazing the sort of psychological damage that <laughs> comes, for me at least, when there's that sort of time ticker on something. It really yeah, made it hard yeah. to enjoy other things. So like, you know, if there's a series that's going to leave a streaming service, the race to try and get through it, or if an online game like this is shutting down, or if a real life thing or venue or event or something is closing its doors. Like I know things can't last forever. Yeah. But there's a very particular set of stresses and anxieties that that, causes me when it's like there's a thing you could have experienced and now you can't during the final play session of babylon's fall i knuckled down i did probably four hours in one sitting one evening and played till way past my bedtime on a school night i was just hitting the same stage over and over again to try and grind the materials i needed to upgrade the last few items because that was all i had left to do for the the last few trophies it felt good to finally see the platinum trophy pop up obviously and know that i could retire the disc happily But it was frustrating in a way because in that time, there was a proper glimmer of what this game could have been. Because as a handful of players are all going for the same platinum finish that I was, there were enough people playing pretty much all evening. 
that every mission was a full team of four. And I'd never really experienced that before across the months I'd been playing. Yeah. So suddenly the game actually had weapon strategy that was always kind of hinted at. There was actual kind of thought behind saying, oh, you know, well, that person can draw aggro because they're wearing a decent armor set and they can have good defense. And then the people with the big boy hammers can run in and get smashing. And then those with the ranged weapons can stand back and fire from a distance. And equally, like if someone goes down, you've got a chance for a free revival if someone can get to them and, and get them up. Whereas when you're playing solo, it makes your watch a full 30 second tick down. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. You're just watching the fucking countdown clock for the full, full 30 seconds before it lets you revive solo. But despite the repetition, it was pretty fun. I think it's a real shame that I only really had this proper design document style experience in my 45th hour of play (laughs) but but, you know the game is decent or should i say was decent past tense but there are so many missteps in the way it was marketed in the team behind it in the matchmaking problems that i think it was always destined to go out with this sort of whimper but either way it is finished i can play something else the countdown to now breaking the seal on sonic frontiers is on i'd say excellent excellent (laughs) do it do it do it do it what about you Well, I've played a couple of things this week. I've attempted to keep chipping away at God of War Ragnarok. But honestly, just the pacing is just so, so slow that it's quite difficult to get enthusiastic Mm. about playing it. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And like, the slow pacing is purely down to concessions made to mask loading times on older hardware. I tweeted a little section of the game in the last week where you have to move a train trolley onto some tracks and it only lasts about i don't know a minute and a half something like that but all you do is move right twice and then left as atreus just jabbers on about some bunk and it's entirely (laughs) emblematic of how this game is built with these deliberate roadblocks every few minutes to give the next section time to load and so i know i've said this before uh, but it's clear that the priority of this game is to be the most showy offy rather than be the most fun to play yeah. and that they, they could have made this decision to cater for the ps4 version by dialing down some of the i mean admittedly impressive technical stuff going on it looks stunning but it comes at such a cost to the player experience that i just don't think it's justified yeah elden ring is a really good example of this because the way that that game is designed means that the improvement you get by playing it on better hardware is just graphical yeah the way the game runs and the way the game plays it plays pretty much exactly the same on the PS4 as it does on the PS5 as it does on the Steam Deck, you know? But you benefit more by it being prettier. And yeah, the loading times are quicker. You know, you're going in and out of menus and doing fast traveling and stuff like that. And so, like, with God of War, I kind of feel that they've been a bit hamstrung by the single continuous shot approach that they've decided to, to, you know, to continue using from the first game, which, honestly, I, I don't think it needed to be adhered to here because... I really loved it in the first game. I, th- I think it was really cool. You know, it worked for this like more intimate personal journey that you're going on throughout that game. It is essentially you're walking up a mountain over 20 hours. But like because <laughs> uh, because like the story and the character arcs are developed so much further in this game and the scope of it is so much larger. I mean, geographically, you know, as much as anything that you end up with these sections to link the large gaps between action just so they can retain this this single shot again is something that i don't feel prioritizes gameplay yeah it's frustrating because like when you are doing the combat it's really good fun it's really heavy and weighty and it's satisfying you know solving the environmental puzzles is pretty good fun although atreus does interject 
within seconds of you starting to give you a bit of a hint of what to do next, which yeah. is a bit annoying because yeah. you just kind of want to stop and just figure it out. And then you'll be like, oh, uh, there's a thing over here. Oh, what's this? Oh, oh, what about over here? Or, oh, I don't think we've got the right tools to get through this section yet. And it's like, just, I'll figure that out. Just give me a minute, you know? Yeah. yeah. The story of the game is really interesting. You know, the lore is, is really interesting, but I just want it to be more of a game than a film. Yeah. Speaking of which, watch the first episode of The Last of Us on HBO. Is it better than the game? Well, it's exactly the same as the game. (laughs) (laughs) It's no surprise to say that I think the story does work much better as a live action piece of media than an interactive one. You know, it looks gorgeous. It's brilliantly acted. It's it's got exactly the same sort of aesthetic. You know, there's a few things that are changed so that it works better, you know, visually and sort of in a less pulpy way that a video game can get away with. There are shot-for-shot recreations of bits from the game, which, again, goes to show what the intention was of the game, Yeah. i.e. try and be a live-action piece of cinema. So, like, the nods that the series does to the game don't jar because the game was essentially already nodding to this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, there's a fair amount of slightly clunky exposition that you're bound to get in the first episode of a new show, but, yeah, it's off to a good start. I'm sure the series would be great. My real highlight of the week, though, has been getting... Metroid Prime Trilogy emulating nicely on my Steam Deck. Oh, and no help from me. I'm normally the tech person. So to to hear this is up and running, proud of you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. It didn't require much more than actually what you'd already done, which is (laughs) (laughs) because as part of the emulation station setup, one of the cores that you'd installed was Prime Hacks, which is a bespoke emulator purely to emulate Metroid Prime Trilogy, like on on a modern way. I had a little bit of a pointing in the right direction from my friend Casper, and there's a very helpful Reddit page to assist with like the fine tuning, but it's all running just really beautifully to the point where if Nintendo do ever decide to release a Metroid Prime Trilogy HD remaster on the Switch, I don't think it would be done as well as the Prime Hack community have managed to do here. Oh, this is the thing. We say time and time again, the way that actual companies are packaging up older games is yeah. so frequently worse than what is available just through hobbyist communities yeah. that it, it's quite embarrassing i think for <laughs> the actual ip holders and for the platform holders and for the the publishers and developers working on these things because i i realize you know perhaps there's time constraints there might be budgetary constraints they can't put like five years of work into one of these little projects but these people are doing it just in their free time in their bedrooms yeah. and also they've already done it yeah yeah so reach out to them. The recent update to The Witcher 3 with the big yes. kind of like big push for textures. I'm pretty sure the majority of those upscaled and redesigned textures were from a fan pack. Yeah. Uh, and they were licensed because it was like the work is done. Yeah. It's going to take us two evenings work as opposed to six months. So let's just pay the person. Yeah, exactly. Let's just pay them for their work. Yeah. Rather than just sending endless like cease and desist for this sort of stuff. Yeah. Just embrace it. Someone's done your work for you. And I mean, it is an astonishing job that's been done here. Like the controls have all been calibrated to modern controller setups and schemes. So I'm playing this with like dual stick first person controls with the various visors, beams and mechanics all mapped nicely to, you know, to the buttons of the Steam Deck controller. But I know that like you can also play this with a mouse and keyboard on a PC now. And it's like, that's incredible. That is just that is just incredible. The polygons have been upscaled so it looks nice and crisp. It's running a solid stable 60 frames per second in widescreen and yeah i mean i've started at the beginning with uh, metro prime one a game that i've probably completed 
I don't know, at least a dozen times. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm so, so much looking forward to replaying Metroid Prime 2, which is a game I only ever completed once back when it was first released. And then I will finally play Metroid Prime 3 for the first time. Yeah. Because I'd sat, you know, the motion controls Wii game out, well, as well as the console too, mostly. And I know that there's going to be a few specific things to bear in mind when I do play Metroid Prime 3 because of the motion control design in the game itself with... Uh, you know, there's going to be various controller waggles being necessary for certain moves and mechanics, but I'm hoping to be able to map some of those functions to different buttons on the Steam Deck to, to yeah. minimise any faff, but it'll be fantastic to finally play that, even if it's not quite as smooth an experience as it could be from, you know, like a, a from-the-ground-up remake, which you know Nintendo will absolutely not be doing. <laughs> But I must say, like, it's been absolutely wonderful to revisit the first Metroid Prime after so many years. It's astonishing how well it holds up. And now that I've got, like, a much deeper knowledge of the Metroid series and history, there's lots of things that are sticking out to me playing it now that I didn't really appreciate when it first came out because Metroid Prime was my first Metroid game. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't really have a full appreciation of, of the job that Retro Studios did in successfully adapting metroid into 3d from 2d it's quite phenomenal yeah. like that is not a given uh, it's required a huge amount of thought to get certain things working and feeling right and there's so many key aspects of classic metroid gameplay that you wouldn't expect to work when going from 2d to 3d but they found a way not only to make it work but be fun as well it's really extraordinary it really is like the mapping system works brilliantly in 3D as well. It allows you to keep track of where you are, where you need to go very easily. The pacing of the progression is a lot tighter than I remember. It's possibly because like, you know, my route through the game is probably hardwired into my brain. So I can start <laughs> checking off bosses and, and getting upgrades at a fair lick. But it's it's just a wonderful game to spend time in. It's a wonderful world to spend time in. The atmosphere is just oh, it's just amazing these beautifully realized environments and soundscapes even after 20 years it still generates this just incredible just really tactile experience it's it's stunning i mean i'm not sure if i'm going to do 100 percent playthroughs of these games certainly oh, not straight go on go on cer <laughs> certainly not straight away anyway but you know i will certainly play all three of these games to completion and i'm so excited to be able to keep you regularly updated with uh with how i'm how I'm getting on with them because, um, yeah, absolutely phenomenal stuff. Top, top draw, top draw work. It's a play date. 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 And we're back. It's the little yellow console. It's been sat on my desk. It's been kept plugged in so it doesn't lose battery and die. <laughs> and it's just been nice, just sat on my desk waiting for me to pick it up. I haven't actually played that much since our last play date update. Obviously, I, I did pick it up to to play Hyper Meteor and Zipper, which are the two games that we're going to uh, we're going to be covering in this episode. But have you played anything else? Have you have you played anything else on the play day? Have you picked up any sideloaded games? I know we did a bit of a, a recap of some sideloaded games way back in November after I took it on holiday with me and played a bunch of stuff. But I'm sure there's a whole load of new sideloaded games, independently developed games that haven't been released as part of this first official season that are worth picking up. 
Have you picked any up? Oh, yes, I always do. <laughs> Even if I hadn't played them, I would have picked them up. I, I'm just addicted to the buying, if anything else, of games more than actually getting to sit down and play them. Like I said, Babylon's Fall has taken most of my actual time this week, but the play date is perfect then for five minutes here and there. And a lot of the best sideload games I've found so far have been ones where you can dip in for just a little chunk, mm. enjoy a puzzle on Slitherlink, or enjoy a conversation in Bloom or whatever else, rather than having to sit down and say, well, now I need to shift my focus for 45 minutes of something else. So obviously we're going to be talking about Hypermedia and Zipper shortly, but there's two sideloads I wanted to mention in particular that I've put quite mm. a lot of time into between, you know, other things this last week or so. Now, first up is a Microvania called The King's Dungeon. Ooh. It's by the same developer who made Almost Tennis that I mentioned on a previous episode. And therefore, the design process of this game is documented in full in a mini documentary on YouTube, as with all their games. Oh, lush. So if you search on YouTube for Squid God, their page will pop up and all of their videos are a really fascinating insight into the good, bad and ugly of being a solo developer on a very niche low power handheld like the play date so it does go into detail of like this didn't work and it made me upset but here's how i solved the problem that's nice there's a lot of kind of small things and it's just you know we might play a game and go well the ladders don't work very well mm -hmm. and then when you hear someone talk about the problems they had making a ladder function at all you're like no okay i'll cut a bit more slack in the future <laughs> the king's dungeon aims to try and give players the experience of a full metroidvania with all of its item gating and hidden secrets but in a 20 or 25 minute speed runnable package nice and it's not perfect by any means like i said it's a single guy doing this and it does have its own quirks and bugs and the developer has been very open to feedback like i had a conversation with them via reddit i think sort of passing on some of my thoughts that they then folded into a future update so i can say i've had a hand in some way at influencing a playdate project but it works and it's a lot of fun the game's got two different maps now in its current format each one uses the same power-ups and obstacles but are presented in kind of a different layout to keep things fresh a first play i think of either map takes about 25 minutes like i said and then a second play to find all of the collectibles might be a little bit quicker because you kind of know where things are but then the fun for me at least has been in trying to bring down my times bit by bit because when you finish you get a nice little sort of uh, recap of how long it took you as well as a little message that will say new best time if you've beat what you did previously and that's been enough to make me sit down and want to shave off another minute here and there where i'm you know, having a prolonged perch on the poo pot or something like that, where you're just entertaining yourself. I don't want to know about that. <laughs> Jesus, what an image. It's it only was. a few dollars, and providing you know what you're getting, that it is a small game, it is something you're meant to replay, it is something that will have the odd little quirk here and there. I think it's a really good time. The other game I've played a fair whack is a high score chaser called Fish and Feathers. Hey. And it riffs directly on the Puro or Bird and Beans minigames that were in WarioWare. Oh, yes. So you might need yeah, to yeah. kind of think back to those. If that sounds like nonsense to any of you out there, in both Fish and Feathers or in its inspiration, Bird and Beans, you control a character who can move left and right, and you must collect or avoid falling items from the sky, with the catch being that you can only do so by extending, in the original game, your tongue, and in this game, a fishing rod that your character has swallowed in a diagonal line directly from your character. So you have to think about angles. The higher in the sky you grab the item, the higher the score. If you miss a drop, it will gradually destroy the platform you're stood on. And that means that if you're not careful, you can end up stranded on a small plank just a few pixels wide. If this was just a straight copy of Bird and Beans, I probably would have enjoyed it anyway. But there's additional strategy here, which I think makes it a much better game. 
because certain falling items, which are all fish in this case, hence the title, certain ones will repair a single block of terrain. Others will repair multiple blocks of terrain whilst destroying everything in the sky. Some will blow up larger areas if you ignore them. They hit the floor, meaning that there is a proper strategy to how you need to approach everything that's falling towards you. On the train to London the other day, I played this game for a full 90 minutes. <laughs> like I had intended to get stuck into one of this week's actual season entries for this podcast. Mm. But for my taste, I actually think this game is better than both of them. Obviously, we'll talk about both those games shortly, and I think they are very good. But I just enjoyed this more. <laughs> like the main game uses the D-pad and buttons, so it isn't particularly playdate centric. But after reaching a certain score threshold, you do unlock an advanced mode. And in that, you use the crank to move a little analog turret that then lets you hoover fish out of the sky instead of firing a fishing line out. And it totally changes the gameplay and then suddenly feels closer to like an arcade game like Missile Command as you manage your limited hoover charges with this like more granular input. There's even, and this is really nice for me because I like this sort of stuff, an inventory to fill, which acts kind of like in-game achievements. Wonderful. So certain fish will only fall once you meet in-game targets. And then when you manage to catch a new fish, you get a little portrait, you get a bit of flavor text, and then it will sort of log how many of them you catch going forwards. Like, it's a very small thing, but it makes it feel like a better, bigger, more complete game. I really enjoy that sort of stuff. It just has like a level of care in it that you might not see otherwise if it was just a quick like flash game you might have played on the internet years back. I'm about two thirds of the way through the game's challenges, and I'm hopeful with more practice, because it is really tough as you get into it that this could be another game I add to the completion list for 2023 because I like beating sort of niche stuff. And because this is so easy to pick up and play for literally two minutes whilst in between other things, I think it will probably be sat here on my desk ready to go for quite some time. All in all, beautiful game. Uh, for what it's aiming to do, I basically have no notes. So <laughs> I would highly, highly recommend anyone who likes arcade score chasing games and owns a play date to get on itch.io and search for fish apostrophe um feathers vision feathers <laughs> i, I want to check out both of them to be honest They're good it's been really nice picking up the play date again and and yeah just reminding myself of like we said before the little hole in our gaming activity that the play date fills that other things don't you know yeah it's lovely it's really lovely shall we chat about the sixth week of releases in the uh first season of the play date yeah does that mean we're halfway through are there 12 weeks total Yes, it is the halfway point. There we go. I'll kick it off. Hyper Meteor. Oh. That was the 11th game to land on my play date. And it's pretty much exactly the sort of game you would expect to get on the console. Yes. It's a play on the classic arcade game Asteroids, where you have control of a ship in space. And Asteroids, or I assume probably Meteors, uh, because this game is called Hyper Meteor. Yeah. They're flying at you and you need to destroy them. In Asteroids, you can fire your weapon to break them down. But in Hyper Meteor, you are the weapon. <laughs> because the Asteroids, uh, or Meteors, uh, that spawn into your area, they are split into two sides, a light side and a dark side. And if you ram your ship into the light side, then you will successfully break it. However, if you ram into the dark side, you will be successfully broken. Oh. The Asteroids are spinning. Of course, varying rates, which makes aiming at the uh, correct side more of a challenge. And the bigger ones split into smaller ones, and the smaller ones split into littler ones until there are no more. And you basically try and go for as long as you can. I imagine this game started probably just as a, an exercise to make 
an asteroids clone and then the team at vertex pop decided to put a bit of a new twist on it but it is a simple score chasing game albeit presented honestly very very well with nice crisp graphics and effects a really nice little soundtrack this being a playdate game it's obviously using the crank and that's part of your control input use the crank to rotate your spacecraft and then you use a button to boost and a button to drop a smart bomb to blow up the screen if you get caught in a pinch It's got this sort of typically floaty feel to it that something like Asteroids does, which makes cranking feel a bit of a clumsier way to steer rather than just like a D-pad or analog controls. But it's honestly fine once you get used to it. Having played quite a few mobile games and other bits and pieces in my time away from the Playdate since our last update, one thing I do miss is haptic feedback when I'm playing the Playdate, which I think would go a long way to improving the way some of these games feel, give them a, a bit more of a tactile responsive feel to them. Yeah. Who knows if that might be in addition to the Playdate Mark II, if ever that comes about with its backlit screen. <laughs> but like we've said before with these games, like it's easy to underestimate how hard it is to get a game feeling polished and stable on any console, but certainly on something as new and as different as the Playdate. And, you know, it's just a three-person team who made this game, and, and they've done a fantastic job of making just a really classy little product here. So even though like score chasing games aren't necessarily my particular brand of bag, this is one of the better ones on the console. I think it's really tight. It does what it does. It's classy. It feels like it's more of a you game than a me game. So how yeah. did you get on with this game? Well, I think it's interesting to view this, like you said, in the context of Asteroids, especially. Because if you go back in time, like in the golden age of arcade games, there were loads of, I guess, iterative games. And by iterative, I don't mean straight sequels so much as just outright copies with minor tweaks so you know when things got big everyone was trying to make their own space invaders or donkey kong or pac-man or asteroids because that's what was popular yeah and these days games often pay homage to existing titles or gameplay ideas and stuff like that but it's rare that a team just puts out a straight asteroid pseudo sequel like this because that's essentially what it is like this is not a slight against the game at all but because games are as evolved as they are in 2023 Everything will naturally draw from something, but rarely like this blatantly direct in one specific point in time or or one specific product. But luckily then, as you've kind of alluded to, it's good that this is a pretty good version of Asteroids, you know, all said and done. Like Asteroids, if you play the original game remarkably, still holds up very well in an arcade setting, especially. Mm. Like if you play it via a console port or on one of the many Atari collections we've had over the years, sometimes you might kind of shrug a little bit, but when you've got an original cabinet in front of you, it's a lot of fun because they've got this super futuristic vector display that means 40 plus years after its release, it still looks sci-fi. It still looks high tech and, and yeah. kind of bizarrely next gen, but just it's no gen. It's Nothing's ever yeah. going to look like that again. And the gameplay itself is still really satisfying to learn and master because of that inertia and screen wrapping that Hypermeteor has mm. too, which means that as soon as you start moving, you're never fully in control again yes like even very good players you're always balancing against things that are out of your control and it can be quite fun to sit at this sort of periphery of panic for like a whole play session Mm. for just like a minute or so yeah obviously hypermeteor can't lean on the gimmick of a vector display because we're using the play date so instead it does things with its hardware which is intelligent and it still feels cool and the way that we move with the crank still i think captures a lot of that unwieldiness whilst giving you a decent level of control once you get the hang of it so it is just asteroids you know it's tried to just iterate on something that already exists but 
even without being able to shoot, it still feels like an arcade shooter because it is very much, it's got the same DNA in it, essentially. Mm. The combination of its visual design and its musical design, it really puts me in mind of Super Hexagon. Yes. Even though the play style between the games is quite different, naturally, what it really did, more than anything else, is made me really yearn for Terry Kavanagh to develop a game on the play date. I had exactly the same thought, yeah. (laughs) And if he hasn't been approached by Panic for whatever season two might look like, I think it's a huge missed trick because he's the right level, I think, of indie developer and he always takes on a project that does something different. You know, you can imagine a game like VVVVVV where you're altering gravity, maybe using the crank or some sort of Twitch-based score chaser like Super Hexagon with full analog crank control. You know, he's exactly the sort of ideas-based designer that I think would really enjoy this device and probably enjoy hypermeter himself too i reckon yeah (laughs) compared to the other high school games we've already covered on the device so far i think this comfortably beats out whitewater wipeout as it just has more to master more to do more moment by moment decision making and i think it's just got a cooler vibe all round. but i don't think i personally enjoy it quite as much as flipper lifter because I think that game had that cutesy character that really grabbed me, very similar to Fish and Feathers that I've already talked about today, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I think it, it stimulates something similar in my brain. But the start of a really strong week, I think, because it is a very, very solid game. It is. It is indeed. I tell you the thing that took me the longest to get used to is the fact that the meteors don't bounce off each other. Yes. I wonder, though, because you are marginally hamstrung by the way you are moving with the crank, it's, it's not like quite as immediate as other yeah. buttons might have been it might be to kind of soften that for you so you're not suddenly overwhelmed and have like unwinnable states. Yeah, uh, I, know, I, know, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I think there's a sense of anticipation you have to have, like you said about like getting your grasp on the balance yeah. of the controls. No matter how much I played it, I played it for probably an hour and I never got used to, I was always anticipating the meteors to bounce off each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, like we've said with many things, it's probably a me problem. <laughs> Moving on then, let's talk about the other game that was released this week. It's called Zipper. I'm going to let Chris tell you about it. Go, Chris. Zipper is a weird game. It's a stylish samurai game. It's made by a chap called Bennett Foddy, who is an affable Australian developer behind games like the Bananas Quop, which is an old flash game where you have to run a sprint whilst controlling the muscle groups of your character's legs fully independently. (laughs) And more recently, people might be more aware of a game called getting over it with bennett foddy and it's kind of a twitch stream courting rage inducing pain em up where you're trying to maneuver a man constrained to a big old cauldron using a big hammer both games make sense to see though maybe not to describe yeah but they're interesting they are interesting things and i think again like mentioning terry kavanagh it's a person with a vision for the things he makes i think zipper out of the ones i've had experience of might be the most gamey game that Bennett Foddy has ever put out, at least to my knowledge, because it's essentially a turn-based action game where you control a samurai who can zip several spaces in one direction across a grid, slicing enemies in half when you pass directly adjacent to them. The game seems like it's going to be easy peasy lemon squeezy on screen one, as you just have a big long straight line zip, which will mince through a nicely squelchy ninja, (laughs) but within moments of the game starting to open up, like literally 15 seconds later, you start realising that this is a challenging, contemplative take on action games that places a huge onus on your position and planning in order to navigate irregular grids and, more crucially, the movements of enemies. Now, the real twist here 
comes from your movements being asynchronously mirrored by the enemies. Mm. So if you move, say, 10 spaces in one direction, any enemies that you have not taken out with your blade's motion then have 10 kind of movement tokens to use themselves, but in any direction. So that means each screen is a puzzle, figuring out where you need to duke or ferry your samurai in order to take out your foes, but also to make sure that wherever you end up is going to leave yourself kind of shield from attacks once you've come to a stop. If an enemy is able to reach you on their turn, you are dead, and it is an instant game over. Yeah. I'll I'll just say that again. It is an instant game over. (laughs) Now, luckily then, the old Playdate crank comes to the rescue because it allows you to play a ghostly version of events before you commit to your zip. So you can sort of plan where you're going to go. You can then turn the crank, and it will tell you, is that enemy going to end up somewhere useful? Are they going to end up killing me because they're going to then walk up to me because of the way that I've plotted my route? Is it worth me first shimmying a step to the right before kind of unleashing my blade? Is that going to be better for me? So much of samurai films is in the quiet before the sudden strike. And I think Zipper manages to capture the magic of something like Kurosawa's films, not only because it's stark one bit black and white, Mm. but also for the way it's a deep breath of a game rather than a shinobi style slash 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 them up. Yeah, it makes a huge, huge difference. On that point, that is one absolutely just superb observation. Two, I cannot overstate just what an extraordinary achievement it is to reach that. Yeah, yeah. Like with this game, with this tech, it is ridiculous. (laughs) So as you progress through Zipper's world, you've got secrets, you've got branching paths, you'll start to have enemies who will parry. You've got enemies with ranged attacks, like all sorts of things will get gradually added. But you're also fighting against an ever-depleting life bar that rewards longer movements by virtue of every zip, no matter how long it is, expending energy. So you need to essentially try and do fewer, longer zips rather than more, shorter zips, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's a very good game. It's a very hard game. It's a very, very punishing game, but it's a thoughtful game. And I think that's what I appreciated more than anything else. Like if this was just hard for the sake of it, and it was purely about my skill, then I think I would have got very frustrated very quickly. Yeah. But to fail, but think, no, I could have just looked what was going to happen. I failed because I haven't taken the time to think what's going on. Yeah. Like the error is entirely down to me. That makes it worth persevering with. It reminds me most of isometric puzzle games from the ZX Spectrum. Yeah. Like Night Law or the Batman adventure game that I know you observed mm. your eldest brother playing as a, a yeah. game. Yeah. But... The movement in this totally sets it apart from pretty much anything I've ever played. And you could try and say that the turn-based movement is not a million miles away from, say, a hyperspeed version of Fire Emblem or Disgaea because it's like taking turns to move. Yeah. But the movement projection with the crank totally sets it apart from those more traditional strategy RPGs because it's not just you have a go, they have a go. They're essentially happening concurrently, but you have that kind of foresight to say, well, I can see what's going to happen before I make my move. It's really good. How did you get on? I absolutely love it. I good. Absolutely love it. It is possibly my favourite game on the play date. I think it's just so brilliantly executed. One of the reasons why I love stealth games, you know, I've spoken before about how much I love Thief and how, you know, I love Dishonored and even something like Sekiro. I like the fact that you can take your time and approach situations and wait and then strike when you've got your ducks in a line. And this game is all that. I love the fact that you're not on a timer to make your moves. That would have ruined it. That would have ruined it for me. Like you said, the only thing that's going to let you down is 
not taking enough time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got everything you need to get through every single scenario. And yet I haven't got to the end. <laughs> no, no, it's brutal. <laughs> it is. It is. Like you said, it's one mistake and you're out. Like you said, it's a simple concept, but it's just so brilliantly realised. The graphics and the aesthetics are absolutely stunning. I mean, the whole way the game is presented, like we said, it's got that, the note I wrote down is it's got a real vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it captures that magic of Kurosawa. It captures, like you said, the importance of the stillness and the quiet that something like Ghosts of Tsushima, with all of its tech and budget and everything on the PS5, does not do for me no. because it's trying to do too much. It hasn't got what's actually important, the essence of you know what makes those those old movies so special. Whereas this does, and that's ridiculous <laughs> that this is a tiny little one-bit console with a crank without a backlight, and yet it, it reminds me more of Seven Samurai than Ghost of Tsushima did. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It kept me company during my last stay in hospital. Yeah. It was the game that had dropped when I was last admitted, when I ended up having my appendix out. Not fun. That was not fun. That was not fun. So it's got a bit of an association with that. Certainly that seeing seeing multiple blades rip holes in the sides of multiple people. <laughs> Set you up. <laughs> Set you up nicely. I was ready for it. I mean, I... I I didn't want to overstep the mark, but I was giving the surgeon notes beforehand. Uh, <laughs> Did you just tell him, just crank it forwards first. Just Basically, make sure yeah. you're confident with that incision before you go ahead. <laughs> that was it. That was basically it. That was basically it. For someone like me that doesn't really like, you know, I don't like strategy games. Yeah. Um, those, those comparison points made with like Fire Emblem and Disgaea, I think are absolutely spot on. And yet Zipper, I really, really like because... I yeah. think it's because of that function that, you know, like I said, you can take your time, you can consider things. You know, the, one of the reasons why I get so pissed off with strategy games is because I can't think three, four steps ahead. Yeah. And this nullifies the need to do that because all you need to do is, is essentially play one step ahead and you can see that. You don't need to try and figure out exactly how somebody else is going to move because you can see it. You can see it and then you can make your decision. And it's just, I think it's an extraordinary achievement. I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a real highlight for me so far in the Playdate oeuvre. It's a brilliant use of the, of the hardware. It's a great example of creative problem solving. I think the fact that it, you can't do a fast-paced action samurai game is absolutely the reason why you've got this game. Yeah. And it works so yeah. brilliantly. It works absolutely brilliantly. Um, marvellous, marvellous vision and brilliantly, perfectly executed. I would go as far to say that this has been collectively the strongest Playdate week. I think you're probably right. I think um, Crankin's Time Travel Adventure and Boogie Loops, the second week, I think is a very yeah. strong week. Yeah. But then also that this is, I, th I think this is classier. Yeah. Yeah. I think for what the games are doing, I it's nice to have a counterpoint in what's released. And I think they have mm. largely been quite good at offering kind of a, very much a kind of vice versa experience each time that it's like, you might not enjoy this, but you'll probably enjoy this. So yeah. they kind of do different things. And you could see that even like from week one, it's like, okay, Whitewater Wipeout, you play for five minutes, get a score, done for now. Or sit down and play something that's a few hours long that you can get a bit stuck into to casual birder. Yeah. And I think this is like that again. It's like you can really pour over Zipper. You can spend a lot of time on each move. But if you're at a point where you're like, I just, I can't really see a solution to this stage. I need to go away and do something else. You've got a five minute play on Hypermeteor. And yeah. I think that is a good pairing. I think it does work really nicely. And like you say, stylish. It's a week of yeah. vibes. Week of vibes. It is a week of vibes. Good vibes. <laughs> Next Playdate update. I'm quite excited because this was the last time that I played my Playdate games as they came out. 
because I think it was around about this time that we decided what we were going to do with this season. Yes. And I thought, okay, I'm going to knock the games on the head as they come out so I can keep them fresh for reporting back on them yeah. for future Playdate updates. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing the next two games because I haven't played them at all. The next two games are Questy Chess and Executive Golf DX. Mm. And I don't know anything about them. Questy Chess is billed as a role-playing chess simulator. Yeah, I've just said I really don't like chess. We'll see how I get on with this. <laughs> There's a really good game I played on iPhone. I think it's called like Really Bad Chess, and it is very similar in its sort of tone to What the Golf, which okay. is a, a golf game made by people who don't know what golf is. Yeah. And uh, Really Bad Chess is basically that for chess. I'm hoping that it's got a fun sort of spin on it that's going to make it accessible and enjoyable to someone like me. Executive Golf DX has got some of the best artwork I've ever seen because it is simply a photo of an office, the most boring photo you can possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to see how that plays into uh, to, to, to what the game actually is. Again, <laughs> these are two games that could be serious vibes. Yeah, I hope Executive Golf is a winner because I've mentioned previously, I think this is made by Mixalumia's Dave Makes. Ah, and yes. As far as I've, I've never played anything else that they've been involved in. So I'm quite excited to see how they put their kind of talents to a very different idea since I regard Mixolumia so highly. Well, tune in in two weeks' time to find out. So there we go. That was our latest Playdate update. We were talking about Hyper Meteor and Zipper, among, among some other things as well. As we announced last week, we are going to be taking a little bit of a break from our Fortnite challenges to free up our gaming time to play some, uh, some other things. So next week will be a little bit of a stopgap. It's going to be a full-length What Are You Playing episode where we're going to be telling you everything about what we've been playing. Stay tuned for updates on Metroid Prime Trilogy. Uh, stay tuned for, well, we know that Chris isn't going to be playing any more Babylon's Fall. So, yes, it's done. So we're all looking forward to hearing what he's actually going to play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you want to check out more of our stuff, you can do that. O3C.games, that's our website, our central repository for all of our content. There's articles, reviews, think pieces, video content. There's the back catalogue of our entire suite of podcasts. There's videos, there's documentaries, there's streaming content. There's absolutely tons of stuff. Check it out. If that's not enough, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games. There's loads of additional content, even more than that. Just there's loads of stuff in exchange for a few pounds of pledging every month. It goes a long, long way to helping us keep the show going and you'll get an absolute just dick ton of, of stuff <laughs> you can chat to us on social media we are at o3c games on pretty much everything you can chat to us individually as well i'm on twitter at jonathan dunn i'm still at Chaz underscore hodges and we will see you back here same time next week for more video games, video games. Video games. Video games.